beautiful summer day. I'm going to swipe some things here. At Hillcrest, when we see a rose on the platform, it means there's been a baby, right? Let's see. This one says, Doug, you're a grandpa again. Woo-hoo! Congratulations to Dustin and Alyssa Sigelko on the arrival of their chosen son, Bowden James, who will officially join the family on August the 19th, 2018. Here he is. Hey. He's my seventh grandchild. And uh, they're still in the Ukraine. They'll be back in about two weeks, two and a half weeks, before they get to come home. Uh, with Bowden James. And I know that we're going to love that little guy. Well, we, we're gl- I'm glad you're here. We've been in the book of Galatians, studying the book of Galatians for the last few weeks. And uh, Daisy made an observation at staff meeting the other day about seems like it's just a repeat every time. And it is. And you know why? Because we don't get it. We have to repeat it over and over and over and over again. What do we have to repeat over and over again? Jesus plus nothing. You remember in the last few weeks, Pastor Kurt, Pastor Steve, uh, Pastor Daisy talked about these words, believe. What do you have to do? See, the church in Galatia was a church made up of Gentiles who had heard the message that they needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. They needed that to be saved. And then a group came in who were rather fanatical on the Jewish law, and they said, oh, no, no, that's okay. Yeah, but you got to put something in between there. Uh, you, you have to uh, do these different things of the law. You have to be... The young men have to be circumcised. You have to believe. And then you have to obey and, 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 and do different things. Don't eat certain foods. Dress in a certain way. Do all of these things. And then you'll be saved. So Paul is coming back and saying to the Galatians, What? How did you get saved? You only got saved by believing. And he decides to explain to them that they need to turn this around. You believe and then you're saved. And then you obey. Now, for the kids who are taking notes, I want you to put these words down in this order, okay? Not the way I had it before. You believe, and your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done saves you. And then we obey because we are so filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. Oh, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you that you have saved me. And now I want to serve you, and I want to do all that you desire of me. And that's the order that the words need to be in. And for the kids, we're going to be looking in Galatians. And we're going to start off with a little review, a couple verses that Daisy used last week. Galatians, let's start off in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 6 to 8. We're going to go to Galatians 3, uh, 6 to 8. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Do you have faith? Three of you do. Well, 
if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a child of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. That was the promise that Abraham, Abraham received. And verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How do we receive the promise of Jesus Christ? By faith and trust in him. So this morning, and for kids that are taking notes, we're going to talk about the difference between the promise and the law. The promise and the law. The promise that was given to Abraham versus the promise or the law that was given to Moses. Some people get really confused. They said, yes, uh, Abraham trusted God and it was counted to him for righteousness and, uh, and then that didn't work very good so God had to tell Moses, we've got to put a bunch of law in here and so you've got to keep all these laws and if you keep all these laws then, oh just a minute, we're going to talk about that this morning. But let's start reading our passage because we start in verse 15 and uh, I'm gonna just, we're just going to read a bit in Galatians 3.15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life, just as no one can set aside or add to human covenant that has been duly established. So in, it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now underline that and note that in your Bible. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people. Paul was very clear. But to your seed, meaning one person, that is that person who is Christ. Okay, let's just stop there for a moment. The promise came to Abraham, to his seed. And Paul is making it very clear. That wasn't just to the whole nation of Israel. It was to that one who was going to come, that one, the Christ, the one who was going to come in years to come. And he was the seed out of whom the whole world would be blessed. The Israelite nation has blessed the world in many ways, but it was not the nation, it was the seed. It was through Christ that, we, that everybody's been blessed because by believing the promise and accepting Christ, we come to know God and we are saved from all of the enemy's uh, things and we, we come into a, a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Verse 17, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later, okay, uh, Abraham received uh, this promise, and then 430 years later, Moses, the law was given to Moses, and uh, it says here, that does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. He is saying that what was promised to Abraham is not just an earthly inheritance, but this was something cosmic. This was something incredible. That he, he made a promise to Abraham that went out and was going to touch the whole world and touch everyone. And, 
And we'll read a little bit later, when he looked at the stars of the sky, that's what your inheritance is going to be like. It wasn't just a homeland. It wasn't just, uh, even though that was part of the promise, but it, 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 that was the physical side on it. But the spiritual side, it was to the seed, not to the seeds. It was through Christ Jesus. The difference between a promise agreement and a law agreement. Let's talk about that. The difference between a promise agreement, like Abraham received a promise, God promised him something, and a law agreement. Okay, I, uh, I put $10 in this envelope. And uh, anybody that wants it can come and get it. Who wants it? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Only two people believe me. First of all, you had to believe that I actually put $10 in that envelope, right? And the second thing, you had to believe that it was here for you to take. It wasn't, it was just a, it was just a promise. If, if you want this, it, it only relied on me, right? I made, you a, I made a promise. I'd give that to anybody who came and got it. Fortunately, my grandson is a pretty fast runner. Uh huh. Now, what's he going to do with 10 bucks? You know, that's a promise. It's just given out by one person. Now, an agreement. Maybe I'll make an agreement with you now, Josiah. Here's an agreement. Part of my job here is after service is to go and pick up all the dirty diapers and the garbage, and the bulletins that people read during the sermon and did, left in their seats, that's all part of my job. So if I say, okay, tell you what there, Josiah, I've got another $10 here. If you do pick up all the garbage, all the dirty diapers, all the things here, and you do that, I'm really not offering you this, Josiah, because I want the $10, I'm going to do it. But, uh, but <laughs> that's, that's a law. That becomes in an agreement between two people. Because if he doesn't pick up the dirty diapers, he doesn't get the bucks, right? If he doesn't do something, if he doesn't produce on his end, I'm not going to give it to him. See, there's a difference. The promise that comes is on the promiser. Everything is on the promiser. I said, I'm going to do this. You just had to believe. He had to believe enough to run up here. He just had to believe it. But when it comes down to the law, the law agreement, everything has to do with the promisee. Everything has to do with the person who's saying, yes, I will complete. I will do this and this and this and this, and then you will give me that. And it always is between two people. It has to be an agreement between two people. Now, let's go to the story of Abraham receiving the promise. Here's the story of Abraham receiving the promise. This is an interesting story in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, and and it's, it's a, it's, if you've read this, um, <laughs> you might have thought, this is really weird. And so I hope, I hope in explaining this this morning, I, I can take some of the weirdness out and you might understand it. 
Uh, okay, Genesis 15, we're going to start reading verse 5, verse 5 and 6. Let's read them. Here, God took Abraham outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Ever tried that? Ever tried to count the stars? Hmm. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. God said, this is what I'm going to do. Now, let's remember, Abraham was 99 years old. He was up almost 100 years old. He had never had any children. He could never have any children. And God is saying to him, your inheritance, your children are going to be like the stars of the sky. An impossibility. Here's an impossibility. And yet Abraham believed it. It was an impossibility. But then Abraham began to think. Okay. Now what do I have to do? In our nature, it's like, I got to do something. I I, got to earn this. What should I do? And so in verse 8, but Abraham said, Sovereign God, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And I think he was asking, well, what what do I have to do? So in verse 9, it says, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought these things to him, cut them in two, arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abraham drove them away. Okay, here's the, have you ever read this and thought, what in the world? What in the world was going on there? He says, God, how can I know that the promise is, what do I have to do? And God says, go get me a heifer. Go get me a goat and get me a, a, a ram and bring me a, a dove and a young pigeon. Okay, well, we should, get, we should get these animals out here because how many of you have a heifer in the backyard that you could just happen to bring out? And the second thought is, how would you cut them in half? How many of you know how to cut them in half? Unless you work at the pork plant or you're a hunter. How many know how to cut? Yeah. <laughs> Ron, anybody else? If somebody gave you a, a three-year-old heifer and said cut it in half, would you know what to do? <laughs> I tell you, I, uh, when I was a teenager, I shot a moose and my dad and I cut it in half. We hacked it up. My knife slipped. I cut the stomach and that smell stuck with me for days. Terrible. Well, we've got a black Angus here. <clears throat> we're going to bring this guy out, and we're going to cut him in half. He cut him in half, and, and he put one half there and put one half there. And, uh, and then he, he cut the goat in half, and uh, he, he put half of the goat over here, and the other half of the goat over here. And, uh, and then he cut the ram in half. This was a red ram. Ah, this was a dodge. And he, he cut them in half, and he put the meat out there. Oh, and then he had the two birds. He didn't cut the birds. You're going to have to use your imagination on this one. Uh, he put one bird over here and one bird over here. 
Okay, so he made this two pile, laid this meat all out. Why did he do that? God didn't ask him to do that, did he? I'll tell you why he did it. This is how they made a covenant in those days. They would kill an animal. They would divide it up, and then it said they would walk between them. But it didn't just mean they'd walk between them, but they would walk like this. And if you're on the podcast, I'm walking like uh, figure eight laid down. They would go around them, and they would walk through them. Because if you take a figure eight and turn it on its side, what do you have? What's the figure you have? Infinity. And here's what they were saying. Isn't it, aren't you glad that uh, if you go to buy a house, you don't have to kill a ram and cut it up in your garden and walk around through it? You just have to sign some papers. But this is what they would do. To, to secure an agreement, they would say, okay, I am willing to do this. And to prove it, I am going to walk around and this idea of infinity that I'm making a promise from now on forever that I will complete what I've been asked to complete and that's what I'm doing and if not, if I don't keep it, might I be cut to pieces like these animals have been cut to pieces? You say, is that really true? Just go over to, uh, you don't have to go there, but we're just in Jeremiah... Uh, 34, if you want to look into that more, 34, 18, he said, for those who have violated my covenant have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. This was, this was something they did. This was to make an agreement. Now, what's about the rest of the story? Where Abraham had to shoo off the the witries, you know what a witri is? That's a vulture. You know those ones with the big neck and uh, I like the word in Spanish. It's kind of neater than vulture, witri. And and they would come down and eat any any meat. And so here's Abraham. He's shooing these things off. And uh, here's what happened. We're going back to Genesis chapter uh, 15, verse 12. As the sun was, uh, pardon me. Uh, the, then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Um, What was happening? What was happening there? Can I steal this stool? This stool doesn't have anything on it. Um, Abraham set up this situation where God had asked him to bring these animals. He knew what was happening. I'm going to make a covenant with God. I'm going to make a covenant with God. So he, he, but God didn't come back right away and tell him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, wa- I want you to promise that you're going to do this and this and this and walk through, and then the promise that I made to you will be completed. So he's there waiting. Some time must have taken place because he had to shoo away all of these uh, vultures and things that were trying to eat the meat that was laid out. Oh, I want to go on a little side trip here. Can you let me go on a side trip? When I was talking about cutting up the animals, we don't know much about blood, really. If you've never cut up animals, you, you don't know much about blood. Um, my my uh, dad took a pastorate and 
one of the ladies in the church, when she found out that my mother was raised on a farm, said, would you like chickens? She said, sure. Well, I've got chickens, but they're alive. You've got to come and get them. And my mother said, sure thing. She loved, we loved to have chicken dinners on Sundays. And so my dad and I go out. The lady had 20 chickens. Well, over and over time we did this. But, uh, and so what do you do? You catch the chicken. My dad would take it and put his head on the block with the, with the axe and <laughs> chop his head off and then give it a throw. And it would run around like a chicken with its head cut off. And uh, my mother would get disgusted. She'd say, Ernie, why do you do that? They get in the dust and they get all dirty. Her way of doing it would be to hang them on the clothesline by their feet and cut their head off with a butcher knife. And the blood goes all over the place. And then she, But we don't know much about blood. We really don't. We're working on a reno over here and I sprung a leak on my finger when I ran it across something. I had to go in and get Karen to bandage me up. But that's about the most we know about blood. Even the farmers around here, the most they know about blood is when they order a steak rare, right? Because uh, we don't have a lot of animals. And we don't know much about blood. When Abraham cut those things up, there was blood. They knew how to handle it. In the, 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 in you read the Old Testament, husbandry was everybody had animals. Everybody knew how to handle them. And blood was very calm. And we live in an urbanized society where we don't see a lot of blood. But you know where we do see the blood? The video games and the TV. When I was growing up, oh, some of you can recognize that. When you watched your, your Western movies, the bad guy had a black hat and the, white guy had, the guy with the white hat was a good guy, right? And if they ever got shot, they just spun around and fell down and it was always getting in the arm and you never saw any blood. Of course, it was black and white, so what do you expect? Nowadays, the blood, the enemy has... Cause, and, and I think there's a, a reason the enemy wants all those gory, gory, gory things. He wants to put down the value of the blood, the blood that was shed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the scripture tells us the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. And when, if he can diminish the value of the blood and human life by showing and here's somebody playing a video game and they blow people's heads off and there's all kinds of stuff there and there's all this gore and all and then and then you just reset and start all over again and you take away all of that so kids be real careful about those video games and the movies that are coming out where it's just gore and blood because it's trying to make us diminish the real value of what life is because life is in the blood that's what was represented when he cut those animals in half that their blood was and they were dead and we live in this unreal world where we can do all of that and there's really no death. It's just a reset and you go back. Careful about that, careful. That's just a little side. That was just, that was extra. You don't have to pay any more for that. That's extra. But I'm coming back. What happened here? Here's, here is Abraham keeping the animals away and it gets dark and he falls asleep. And in his sleep, this horrendous darkness comes. And there's like 400 years, which represented the years that were going to come uh, to the Israelites who were in, in Egypt. And then it also represented the darkness that was going to come when Jesus Christ hung on the cross. This horrendous darkness comes. And then he opens his eyes expecting God to tell him what he had to do to walk between those pieces of meat and secure the promise. And what does he see? 
Look at what it says here. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, your descendants, I'll give this land from. And God walked through the pieces. Abraham didn't have to. He didn't have to. God made the covenant with him. He didn't have to do anything. It was a promise and God said, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. Here he wake, opens his eyes and here's this flaming torch. And we don't know how that represents or what it looks like, but it was obviously God who was walking through the pieces, making a promise secure to Abraham. It had nothing to do with what Abraham had to do. God went between the pieces. God never asked Abraham to pass between the pieces. Salvation isn't a cooperative agreement between God and you. Salvation is because Jesus Christ loved you and died for you. You don't have to work at it. It's because of what he decided, not because of what I decided. The promise that God was saying was, I'll do this. I'll give you my spirit. I'll save you. I'll work out my salvation. I will do it. I will pay the price. I will let my blood be shed. Whether or not you're faithful to me or not, I will be faithful to you. The darkness came down again when Christ died on the cross. The promiser is the only thing you need, the only one you need. Jesus plus nothing. You only need his promise and you need to grab onto it. And when you need to realize what happened with that promise, and you say, this is incredible. I, then you want to obey. Then you want to serve him. Then you want to love him. What can I do? This is incredible. How is it possible that you, you love me so much? Okay, what about the law then? What about the law? Moses goes up on the mountain 430 years later and uh, after, the, after, Moses, after Abraham had received the promise, he goes up on the, on the mountain he, and he gets the law. God didn't change the game from promise to rules to the law. So we go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. And what does it say? Why then was the law given at all? Why, why, why did he give the law? What was the law all about? The law was given to teach us something and to show us something. The law was given. It says it was added because of transgressions till the seed whom the promise re referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. In verse 24, Galatians 3.24, so the law was our guardian in the old uh, King James Version was our schoolmaster the law was there to teach us that we could never be good enough you could never fulfill the law you could never the, if, if, if someone could fulfill the law if someone could fulfill the law they would be like God or they would be God and that's why Christ Jesus was the only one who could fulfill the law. And he came and he did the whole law. He fulfilled the law. He did not sin. But you can't. So the, the, the law was given to teach us what we would have to come, how hard we would have to work. And it's impossible. It's impossible. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. The law and keeping all the law is not 
it just taught us that we can't believe and obey and be good enough to be saved. The law shows us that we needed a promise, that we needed someone who could come and fulfill the law for us. And the promise also shows us the scope of the law. The law is saying you will never be able to obey me. The demands of the law are way above your head. They're beyond you. You could never keep the law. And people say, well, I'm trying to be good. I'm, I'm, you know, if I, I've, I keep the commandments. And, you know, I've been pretty good at keeping, uh, I, I, you know, I work, I work, I, I, I work at the golden rule. I know some of you realize that he who has the gold rules, but that really isn't the golden rule. <laughs> the golden rule is you'll do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that you would love your mother and your father and you'd love people around you and that you'd give, oh, I'm, I'm so good at the golden rule. You can't keep the golden rule. <laughs> um, it's a good rule. It's great if you're loving and caring for others. And you, you've seen how the Lord loved and cared for you, so you want to obey him. And, and you, but if you're trying to keep the golden rule so that you can come into salvation, you can't do it. You don't need to do it because it was God who walked between the pieces. Man didn't have to walk between the pieces. From the very beginning of the Mosaic Law, it was never ever said, this is what you have to do to be saved. It's not there. It's not there. Actually, it was to teach the children of Israel how impossible it is to fulfill the law. And that's why sacrifices were built right into it. He knew they couldn't keep it, so there was sacrifice. There was bloodshed. Bloodshed, 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 bloodshed. They had to kill animals continually, and their blood had to be there to cover the sins for a time being until the one who was perfect and had no sin came, and that was Jesus Christ. And he lived without any sin. He was born without sin. He lived without sin, and he fulfilled all of the law. And he said, I did it for you. You just have to believe. You have to believe and receive it. Tim Keller says this, if you listen to the golden rule and you think about what the golden ruler really demands that you should be loving other people with every bit of creativity and joy and relentlessness and energy and that you would be used to meet your needs, you would be living that way, trying with all of the creativity, joy, and energy to meet their needs. And I'm too selfish for that. So I can't keep the golden rule. I can't keep all of the law. And besides, the law was if you broke one piece of it, if you broke one thing, say, well, I've been pretty good. I've never done this. Well, Jesus opened up the law. You know, it says you shouldn't commit adultery, but then he says, even if a man looks at a woman with that thought in his mind, he's broken the law. And the whole thing shatters. It's like a piece of glass. You can't just break a piece off or the whole thing starts shattering. And that's the way the law was. And we can't do that. But we have to realize the law shows us that we need salvation by a promise. Salvation by a promise. 
I love you. I'm giving my life for you. And the law points us to that promise. The law says, look at your sin, at your transgressions. Look at what your mess you are. And the law makes us a prisoner of sin, he says. It binds us up. So we need a promise. We need to come to the one who's given us the promise and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Save me from this. And he saves us by believing in our trust in that he paid the price. And then the obedience comes. Then I say, hey, I don't, I don't have to live under the law. But I want to do everything you desire of me. What do you desire of me, Lord? And he says, hey, well, how about this and this and this and this? And he shows us. Christ showed us by the way he lived, by the way he loved, by the way he cared. Uh, that that's, that's what we need to be doing. But we need to be obeying him not to be saved, but because I am saved, because I have the promise, because he walked between the pieces and he made the covenant. You know, you'll only listen to the law faintly. If you just listen to it a bit, you'll feel a little guilty. But if you start digging into the law, you begin to realize it's impossible. It's impossible. So it's Jesus plus nothing. I want to just close with this. I think there's probably some of you here today and you've been troubled. You came to know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've been troubled because you're trying to keep saved. (laughs) And so you get these times where you think, well, am I really really saved? Because I did this, because I, I did that, because am I really saved? The truth is you're saved by faith, by believing. Now, walk in that. That gives you a freedom. When you start feeling guilty over something, that's the time to stop and say, Lord, forgive me. Don't keep walking in it. That's ridiculous. Stop. Turn around and say, no, I'm not going that direction. It's not that you're, you'd be afraid of not being saved, but you need to be fearful of just the life that comes when I walk in what I want. When you walk in your selfish ways, there's anger and, and, and hate and all kinds of things. You know, the, here, here's another example. The, the fifth commandment says don't kill. Well, I've never killed anybody. But when you dig into the fifth commandment, and Jesus opened this up in the Sermon on the Mount, it says not even wanting to kill somebody or not and it means you need to love that person instead of hating them. And, and, and it means not to be cold or harsh or bitter towards them. Well, you say, well, I never killed anybody. But you, maybe you've been bitter or, or hard or you couldn't forgive them over something. It means the same thing. So what do you do? You stop and you say, Lord, forgive me. Wash this bitterness out. I want to get things right. I want to walk right. I want, I want to walk in communion with you. Because if you believe and are saved and you don't walk close to him, you won't be in fellowship with him. And you won't know the fruit of feeling his love and his mercy upon you and all of, all of walking in that. And as you walk in that, it's so freeing. So if you've been here, maybe you've been part of Hillcrest or you've just started coming, in and, and, but 
from time to time, you get into a fearful state of, am I really saved? My question to you is, what saved you? Who made the promise? Are you trusting him? Are you trusting that Jesus Christ paid the price for you? Then you're saved. Okay, how should you walk? You need to walk in obedience to loving and, and all of that to have all the fruit of that. And it's incredible. I know people who have known the Lord as their Savior and then they've walked off in just doing their own things and they live the most miserable lives that you can ever met. I was privileged a few weeks ago to go to a reunion of my high school class and we were just talking about we hadn't seen I hadn't seen some of these people I hadn't seen for 52 years some of them I saw 30 years ago and so we just started talking about and I began to say I've had the most fabulous life <laughs> I've, I've had a fantastic life I began to think that I've been blessed over and over and over again why? Because as you walk with the Lord, He loves you. Have I done things wrong? Yep. Have I sinned? Yep. Have I messed up on something? Yep. But Lord, you have forgiven me, and I walk in that freedom. I don't go around wondering, am I saved today? Did I do something? My parents had a, a friend when they were young, a young lady who was so concerned. She was a very outgoing person. It was the life of the party and they'd, they'd get together and, and then she confessed that she would go home at night and lay there and think, did I say something? Did I pass the line? Did I, have I lost my salvation on this? And, 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 and it just tore her to pieces until one day she discovered that it isn't my doing something that keeps me saved. It's because I believed and he made the promise and then, now I want to walk and I don't want to do things wrong because I want to love and obey him. Would you close your eyes for a moment? If you're here and you've been struggling with this, it's time to stop and say, Lord, you made the promise. You saved me. Thank you. It's not by works oh, that I do. It's because I have put my confidence in you, Lord Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never put your confidence in him, do it. He made a promise to you that he would die for you. And he did. And he did. And all you have to do is admit, I can't keep the law. I can't do enough. I never could. Please forgive me. I want you to come and take over in my life. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you paid the price for my sins. Please come in and change my life now, Lord. If you pray that and you believe it, he will. But if you prayed that a long time ago, but you have kept waking up to fear and, and walking in fear, don't let the enemy pull you into that. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed us. And just ask for forgiveness and keep walking in that faith. Lord, I thank you so much that you didn't ask us to walk between the pieces. You didn't ask us to do a bunch of things because we couldn't. But you, in your love, died on the cross and your blood was poured out and your life was poured out to pay the price 
for our sins. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now help me every day to walk close to you, to do what you're asking me to do, to hear your voice and to walk in it. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would guide us. We give you the glory and the praise now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We'll have prayer people at the front here after. They sing one song. And you want to come and pray? You want to come and speak to us? We'll be, I'll be here at the front. Uh, have a great week. But, oh, walk in the freedom we have. The law binds you up. But the grace of God sets us free. And we can live in freedom. Live in freedom. And walk in faith. After we sing this song, you're dismissed. If you'd like prayer, there'll be people here to pray for you. Things will move.